Good morning, Christ Church. Let me say a prayer for us. Dear Father, thank you for this day. Thank you that you are a God we can shout to and praise, and thank you for all that you do. I pray that you would be at work in our hearts this morning. Incline our hearts towards what is right and towards what is good. Strengthen our minds. Strengthen our purpose, our call in you to be the men and women you've created us to be. I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So I recently read the book, Courage is Calling by Ryan Holiday, and in it he talks about courage as this idea of bravery and fortitude and honor and sacrifice, and he says that courage calls all of us differently and at different times. It calls us to rise above our fear and cowardice and to choose bravery over limitations and to choose heroism. It says it doesn't matter how we are called, only that we answer the call. But to do that, to answer the call of courage, we must battle against fear. And he does this contrast with fear as a state of mind and a feeling. He said scared is a feeling. Who wouldn't feel scared? It's okay to be scared, but fear is a mindset. And if we don't push back against fear, it stops us in our tracks and keeps us from moving forward with courage. And here's one of his ideas that stuck out to me really powerfully. He says, leaders are two things. They are dealers in hope and slayers of fear. And I love that. That's our job. That's what we do. We deal in hope and we work to defeat fear, which makes then courage the daily management of fear. But he says, nothing is lost as long as courage remains because we can always choose courage. In any given moment, in any given situation, we can always choose to be brave. And I love this. No one is unbreakable, but courage is getting back up when you are broken. And to help us think about this idea of growing in courage and managing our fear, I want to look today at the book of Acts. Acts is such an incredibly interesting book, and it helps us see, it was written by Luke, who wrote the Gospel of Luke and then the book of Acts as a history of what happened when Christ went back to heaven and his friends and his disciples were here on earth and how the church started. And if you really want to look at how the early church leaders dealt with hope and pushed back against fear, there's no greater place than the book of heaven, uh, book of Acts. When Christ returns to heaven, he leaves his followers with his promise. He says, you're going to be empowered by the Holy Spirit, and you're going to be witnesses to all that you've seen and learned, and it's going to be from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria and all the ends of the earth. And this group of followers of Christ that we read about, remember we read about them in the Gospels, and they hid in fear. They denied knowing Jesus. They had to be reminded again and again, this is who Christ is, and this is what he's doing. In the book of Acts, we see them stepping into exactly who Christ says they would become, leaders in the church. And they do what Christ commands them to do. They talk about what they'd seen and what they'd heard and what they'd witnessed, and with courage and hope, they told others all of these things they'd experienced, and the church begins to grow. And with the very beginning of the book, we see they have this courage to help. In Acts chapter 3, Peter and John come across this man who'd been unable to walk, and they help him. And as they help him in the name of Christ, heal him, people are astonished. They're amazed by what's happening, and people start talking to people about, look, it's faith in the name of Christ and Jesus. This man whom you see and know was made strong, and it's Jesus' name and faith that comes through him that's healed him, and you can see it. And people see what's happening, and they hear this message of Christ and faith in him, and they just 
start opening up their hearts and thousands of people believe in Christ and the church keeps growing. But if you've ever done anything, you know even great things come with problems. So because of helping, having the courage to help this man, Peter and John are arrested and put on trial. See, the priest and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees, they'd seen what was going on. And this group who could agree about nothing else agreed about not wanting anything to do with Christ or his name. And so they see what Peter and John have done in talking about Christ, and they're offended by it. They're disturbed and pained by it. So they have Peter and John thrown in jail. They spend the night in jail. The next day, they all get together to put them on trial. The rulers, the elders, the scribes all come together. The high priests are there. The family's there. And they start questioning them. The interrogation begins. Now, here's you have to remember when we read about this. These disciples have seen what these people can do. They know what this group has already done to Jesus. They know what they're capable of and where the questioning leads. And when they ask Peter and John, by what power, by what name did you do this thing, look at the courage they have to speak. In Acts chapter 4, verse 8, Peter stands up, filled with the Holy Spirit. He says, rulers and elders of the people, if we're being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame, and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Now this is incredibly bold for Peter to stand up and say, you killed Jesus. God raised him from the dead, and here we are in his name. And so here's their question. Who gave you the authority to do this? We didn't. Like, we didn't sanction you helping this guy. We didn't say it was an okay thing to do. Whose name are you using? And very boldly, Peter speaks up and says, Jesus Christ in his name is the power to heal, the power to save, the authority, the man you sought to finish, God raised from the dead. The one you rejected is the cornerstone. Everything depends on him. He's the center. Salvation is found in no one else. It says our faith is found in the powerful, awesome work of Christ, and it gives that ability to endure and not give up. Faith in Christ is that ability to not grow weary or faint-hearted, but to keep getting up again and again and again. And we have to, it's so empowerful, because when Christ is our cornerstone, when he's our center, when we build everything on him, we have the courage, the strength to live each day and not give up to be exactly who he's called us to be. And the same Christ who saved and healed that man wants to do a saving work in us today. The same Christ who gave Peter and John courage and boldness to speak and do powerful things in his name wants to do powerful things through us today. Peter and John knew Christ. They'd spent time with him. They were loved, forgiven by him, taught by him. And because they were connected to Christ, they had it in them to share Christ with others. 
It was evident even to the people who were trying to stop them that they'd been with Christ. And when we spend time with Christ, it's obvious. It's obvious in who we are because what we do, what we say, they're all reflections of the heart. The more our hearts are filled with the goodness and the grace of Jesus Christ, the more we are able to be gracious and compassionate to others. The more Christ is in us, the more he flows out in who we are, what we do, and what we say. And look at what happened. Look at verse 13. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and took note that these men had been with Jesus. These two guys, they knew they couldn't have done something like this on their own. They'd been with Jesus, and it was evident. And the man that they'd helped, the one who couldn't walk his whole life, was standing there walking. Something had happened. People had seen it. It was undeniable that something amazing had happened. But now they have this dilemma. They're trying to stop anybody. They tried to stop Jesus. Now they're trying to stop people who follow Jesus and are talking about Jesus. And they have this dilemma, like, what are we going to do with these people? And what are we going to do now? And so they tell Peter and John, like, you guys aren't allowed to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. Stop doing what you're doing. But listen to how great. This is their reply, verse 19. Which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to listen to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. And so all the rulers, they try threatening him again, and then they eventually let him go. Now here, they have this courage to help. They have this courage to speak. And they have this boldness. There's so many things for them to be afraid of here. There's so many things that could have happened and so many things that could go wrong. And they've seen what these leaders are capable of doing. They've had violence and death and intimidation and fear and threats. But here's what it came down to. Everything else put to the side, their bottom line, their center is, who are we going to listen to? Are we going to listen to you or are we going to listen to God? And they chose God. They had seen Jesus Christ. They'd spent time with him. They were there with him. They saw him die, and it seemed like all hope had been lost. But then he came back, and nobody does that, and Christ did, and it changed everything from them. They went from being afraid and hiding out to boldly speaking with courage because of what they'd seen and what they'd experienced in Jesus Christ. Because greater than even fear is the hope of Jesus Christ. It changes everything. It changed everything for his disciples. It changes everything for us today. And the hope of Christ is he isn't done yet. No matter how hard or how scary the moment might seem, Christ isn't done yet. And then this gives them the courage to do more. Not just to help and not just to speak, but they get released and they go back to their friends and all these people who'd been following Christ and believing in Christ and they share. Look at verse 24. They share what had happened. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the people plot in vain? 
the kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. They're saying this thing, this happened to Jesus, God's anointed one. The people plotted against him, Herod, Pilate, the religious leaders. But even then, the sovereignty of God, he's still in control. His plan, his work was undiminished by the plotting and the raging of other people. And then they prayed, verse 29, Lord, consider their threats. Enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs of wonder through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. They prayed for more boldness. Not for the threat of violence to go away or not like keep these people from doing harm to us or hurting us or keep them away from us. They prayed for more boldness and more courage to speak God's name in the midst of it. And the courage of Peter and John, the boldness they had, spreads to the people. See, fear is contagious. Have you ever been around somebody who's afraid? No matter how hard you try, it affects you. But so is courage. When you are around courageous people, it is contagious. And sometimes just one or two people standing up and being courageous can change the hearts of an entire group. You can choose courage over fear, and it can have an effect for good on the people around you. I read this interesting article. It says, there are seven things that bold people do. People who choose to be courageous and bold, they're inspiring, not just because they get things done, or they also help instigate growth and progress and movement for themselves and others around them. Here's the actions. They said, every people... Uh, uh, Here's how to add boldness. If you want to be more bold into your everyday life, number one, bold people own their flaws and strengths. This is powerful because, look, nobody's perfect, <laughs> right? Like, we have to have the self-awareness to say, I'm good at some things and I'm flawed in others. I'm growing here and I'm struggling here. And when you have the awareness of yourself to own your strengths and weaknesses, you know how to fully live in your strengths and you know how to compensate for the areas of your weakness. It says, second, they keep clear priorities. If I want to be a courageous person, I can't do everything, right? If everything's an A priority, then nothing's an A priority. Somebody who's constantly jumping into action without a plan isn't bold, just foolish. It says, know clearly what you need to accomplish and seek those chances to help move it forward. Avoid unimportant activities that lead to distraction. There's importance and there's urgent. And the more you know who you are and what your priorities are, you know how to focus on the importance and not let the urgent get in the way. It says next, they speak up. Bold people have the courage to speak. Not necessarily because they're loud or they're boisterous or just outgoing and have to say everything. No, they understand when and how to say what needs to be said which requires tact, <laughs> requires empathy. It uses silence, they said, judiciously, right? I don't have to say everything every time, but there are moments when you have the courage to speak that have such an impact for good. Next, they pair action with knowledge. It's one thing to know the right thing to do. It's another thing to actually do the right thing. Knowledge and action go hand in hand. Um, it says improve odds of success by doing your homework. Increase your confidence and success rate. Here's another one that's powerful. People who are bold make uh, accept the value of failure. 
Nobody's completely comfortable with failure, right? It never feels good to fail. But bold leaders understand that great uh, reward comes from greater risk. If we're going to try to accomplish big, bold, courageous things, not everything's going to pan out. But to make the risk, you have to accept and learn from failure. It's part of the process. You learn from it, you reboot, and you try again. Next, it says they make the most of small wins. Many people sit around and wait for the right opportunity before they're willing to step up and take action. But you know what? Sometimes it never comes. Sometimes there's no perfect opportunity, perfect moment, uh, perfect situation. Rarely is anything perfect in the beginning. But start. Pick something, start, and map out a plan, and try to make the most of that small win. And then last, it says they build momentum. Recognize that a single victory isn't enough. Work to create series of actions that gain confidence, speed, power. Don't rest on one win, right? You did something great, it was awesome, and then done, right? Like, check it off the list. No, use that as momentum to jump into the next. See, here's what I love. That's pick one, practice one, maybe two, right? Every one of us can learn to be more courageous. We can learn to be more bold. It's a choice. Not just like, well, some people are gifted that way and some people aren't, or some people are extroverted so it comes naturally to them, or introverted. We can all learn to be more bold. We can all practice courage if we think about it, work on it, and practice it. And instead of sitting back and saying, how many times have you heard somebody complain, right? Like, who's going to fix this problem? It's terrible, right? Instead of sitting back and just complaining about everything or all of the problems or criticizing everything that's wrong, what if we were the ones with courage and boldness who stepped up to try something that's never been done? We might be the very people God wants to use to solve the problems that exist right now. I mean, imagine if we practiced more boldness and more courage in our life, what God might do in our lives, in our church, in our families, in our communities, the world, when we practice stepping up, growing in boldness, and the courage to help, and the courage to speak, and the courage to move forward and see what God might do next. When was the last time you asked God for more boldness? See, I'm so impressed by this. Like, here Peter and John are, there's perspective is everything, right? They help, they get in trouble for helping, they spend the night in jail. Nobody looks at you and says, wow, you did something great because you spent the night in jail, right? Usually that comes with a stigma, like you got sent to court. But when they go through this experience and they share it with their friends, they ask God, like, wow, could you do more? Could you help us be more bold and speak God's name more? to do more things. When's the last time we said to God, God, this is hard. We're trying hard things and it's bringing problems with it, but we don't want to give up. Could you just give us some more courage, some more boldness? I know if you could give us more, we could do this together. Imagine what God might do with that sense of asking and courage and boldness. And look at the result of this. Look at the result of this courage. The help, the, uh, the, the courage to speak, the courage to do more. Look, Acts, Luke tells us the Spirit of God filled the place. Look at verse 32. All the believers, they were one heart, one mind. 
No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own. They shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there was no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them. They brought the money from the sales, and they put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. So here they are working to do what Christ had commanded them to do, and the church is growing, and even in the midst of problems and arrests and intimidation and trials, they're so moved by the Spirit of God that there's a powerful unity in the church. They're bonded together in the work of God that he's called them to do. They weren't thrown off or diminished by fear. They moved to take care of each other. They were generous with each other. They looked out for one another. Instead of getting stopped by being arrested or derailed by going to court or being threatened and it held them back, they kept moving forward with courage and boldness, and the church continued to grow. This is such a good lesson for us, friends. When the Holy Spirit's at work in the church, there's great unity, there's great power, there's great grace, and there's great generosity. Now here's the unity, right? Because in Christ, we come together. It's Christ who defines us and Christ who directs us. And there's so many different things that could divide us in race and gender and economic status. And Lord knows, everybody's got a different political belief that they're fighting about. There's different backgrounds and different perspectives. But here's what Christ says unites us is greater than all of those things. Himself, he's the cornerstone, the center that we build everything on. Though there's a lot of things that make us different, we are united in our love for Jesus Christ. We are united in our commitment to grow up and be more and more like him. We're committed to stand side by side to share the gospel of Jesus Christ in our world. It's our faith in the gospel of Christ that unites us. And look, you work for the unity of the church. We push back against divisiveness. We push back against critical spirits and we work towards grace. Unity doesn't mean you agree on everything, but that we're working towards the same goal in Jesus Christ. And when the Spirit of God is at work, his grace is evident, because the same God who saved you saved me. The same God who treats me better than I deserve calls me to treat other people better than they deserve. Grace calls us to think the best of each other, to give each other the benefit of the doubt. We forgive each other, encourage each other, grow with each other. But that doesn't always come easy, does it? I want grace when it's my situation or my exception, right? Like there's circumstances you don't understand, but when it comes to somebody else, I want fairness, I want justice, I want the law to crack down, right? Grace challenges all of us to treat people better. And the gospel of Christ says, as we receive grace from him, we share it with one another. We are kind to one another. We give to others what we would expect for ourselves. There's unity, there's grace, and the spirit of God stirs up generosity. The early church was committed to help. They lived generously. They gave generously. When gaps came up in people's lives, they worked to take care of each other so that more and more good could be done in the world. See, the church should be marked by generosity. 
when we build a life around generosity and doing good, we have this foundation that's not built on stuff, that fleeting, coming, untrustworthy, fickle stuff, but we have a foundation in Jesus Christ that allows us to see every good thing I have is from him. And when we work towards generosity, it's an investment for the future. It's good for our souls to be generous. I don't have to try to be selfish. It comes naturally to me. I have to work for generosity. It's good for our quality of character to find ways to do good. It is good for our life to be built around something that has value and meaning long beyond just this I've wasted money on things before, have you? Just bought stupid stuff that I thought was amazing at the time, and it wasn't. It had a shelf life, or it grew out, or got dusty, or I got bored with it. I've wasted money on stuff, but I've never, ever wasted money on being generous. Never. I've never had a time in my life where I felt compelled to be generous, where, like, that was a waste of my money. Never because it has value beyond what I can see and understand. And generosity is always a choice, not determined by how much or how little we have, determined by what do I choose to do with what I have right now. And if God is calling us to work towards unity and work towards grace, he's calling us to be a church marked by generosity, a church that says we want to take care of each other, help one another. We want our community to be affected for good because we make choices to live generously and do good right now. But don't miss this either because the book of Acts is filled with powerful moments of the Spirit at work. When the Spirit of God is moving, powerful things happen. Lives are saved, families are changed, kids' futures are redirected. You see restoration and redemption and real change happening in hearts, and in lives. And the church that we want to be, the church that we have the heart and the vision to be, is marked by courage and boldness. It's us working together, united in our love of Jesus Christ. It's following the call of Christ to love God with all the best of ourselves and to love others just as we love ourselves. It's looking for ways to be gracious to one another, kind to one another, compassionate to one another. It's looking for ways to be generous to help where there is need. And it's open to the incredible work of the Holy Spirit. When God is at work, impossible things happen. And we want to be the kind of church that God looks out and says, where am I going to bless today? And he sees us and he says, yes, let's do something incredible there. But here's the truth. Living boldly isn't always easy. It's not easy to face problems. It's not easy to face pushback. It's not easy to face fear and struggles. They hurt and they're real. I mean, Peter and John, it was no joke when their lives were on the line. It was no joke when they were threatened and intimidated. It was no joke when they had to spend the night in jail. Being bold isn't easy, but it's always easy. And one or two choices for boldness today might have the value that you can't even define, not just in this lifetime, but in the lifetime to come. What God wants to do in the church starts with us saying yes. Pick me, call me, choose me, send me. Let me have more boldness 
to do the work that God is calling us to do. If fortune favors the bold, we want to be the men and women, the church who live and lead in the name of Jesus Christ with courage and hope and wisdom, united, filled with grace, working for generosity where the Spirit of God can move in powerful ways. See, courage calls all of us, different times and in different ways. And if God is calling us to more courage, the question isn't, can we be courageous? The question is, will we answer the call? Will we step boldly into the future with him? These are the two lines that, in Ryan Holiday's book, really stuck with me. Courage requires all of us to answer the question, if not me, then who? If not now, then when? That's what courage is calling us to today. And when God challenges us to rise up to courage, we can expect God to do powerful things. The question is, will we answer the call to live courageously with God? Dear Father, I pray that you would help us. I pray that you would be at work in our hearts and in our spirits. I pray where fear is loud and pervasive, we could push back in faith in the name of Jesus Christ. I pray, Father, just as you were at work powerfully in the early church, you would be at work with us today. I pray that you would give us the courage to help, the courage to speak, the courage to do more, that your uh, spirit would be at work moving powerfully in us, through us, and around us. 